0: Hey, everybody, you're listening to NC Shop Talk, brought to you by NC Carpet Binding. I'm your host, Mal Mayer. If you want to learn from some of the most innovative people in the industry and laugh a ton, then this show is for you. So let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to NC Shop Talk. Our next guest is so far out of the quote unquote shop that I'm not even sure how to introduce him. I've known Scott for close to 35 years now. We haven't exactly kept in touch, but I think of him often. The last time we spoke regularly was when I asked him to speak at my late uncle Mike Leone's charity basketball game in 2015. Now, understand my uncle was more than just an uncle to me. He was my dad's best friend, a second husband to my mother and her best friend, and a second father to me and my sister, Danielle. He was absolutely everything to us. His role in our lives and his loss affected all our lives more than anyone we've ever known. Of course, I met Scott through my uncle, and it was an eye opening experience for me with Scott on so many levels. I don't want to give away his entire story in my intro, but I have to give you something to understand why I think Scott could be our most influential guest to date. I think his story. And his message could catapult anyone past what they think they're capable of. Bear with me here. I'm going to give you guys some background. Going back to my uncle, when he was two years old, he was stricken with polio. And about five years before the vaccine came out. So, you know, if he was born five years later, it never would have happened. But there's nothing you would change about his life. As a result of being stricken with polio, he lost the use of his legs and spent his entire life in a wheelchair. As he got older, he found basketball and became one of the two greatest wheelchair basketball players ever of his era. He had an amazing mind as an engineer for Verizon and arguably a better one as a basketball coach. He was breaking barriers nationwide, becoming well-known first for his play and eventually for his ability as a coach and to recruit talent. Mike went on to coach guys like Rod Strickland, scout and recruit for DePaul, scout and recruit for the New Jersey Nets got offered to coach college and even the NBA as an assistant. Um, He even got to coach his idol, Dr. J, in an all-star game at the Rucker. What I think his best attribute was, was his innate ability to relate to people while motivating them to be their absolute best with no excuses allowed. Now on to Scott and his story. In 1985, Scott Chesney went to bed and woke up not being able to feel his toe. That feeling of numbness spread to both his legs, leaving him paralyzed from his belly button down. There was no accident, no trauma, no injury, and he was just 15 years old. Scott introduced me to Mike, and I eventually got to meet him, and he's motivated me to be better ever since. He's been asked to speak by the FBI, the Pentagon, the United Nations, and been brought in to motivate executives at companies like BASF and Lincoln Financial. To me, he's someone I see as a strong, focused, probably most important to me, caring individual and an absolute ambassador for the no excuses. NC Shop Talk welcomes in world-renowned motivational speaker and an absolute class act, Scott Chesney. Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Mal. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm quite grateful for this opportunity, buddy.
0: I'm so happy to have you. I told you how excited I was. And I really don't think I've been this excited about a guest in a while. It's completely different from what we do. Uh, and, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. Thanks for coming on with me. And I appreciate coming on short notice because I know I, uh, you know, want to get something in for March. And I appreciate you coming on so quick with me.
1: <laughs> we got to be flexible in this world, Mal. Is that there's very times true. where we got to really, uh, put the pedal to the metal and, and get things done quickly. There's other times where we have to be patient and I'm finding out more as I age, hopefully gracefully with my disability is that when we can shift light into different gears, that makes us most effective. That makes us appreciate life even more. So if you need to come to a standstill from time to time, do it. Sometimes we need to rest. We need to recharge and rejuvenate other times. We need to go drop the hammer really fast. Very and, true. Uh, and then there's other times where, hey, we're just coasting. So whatever speed we go at, it's all good.
0: <laughs> Very true. Um, everyone's probably wondering why I'm having you as a guest here, other than your incredible story, which we'll speak on. The primary reason is because Scott is a tremendous motivational speaker, and he can help people overcome hurdles more than they think they ever thought possible and help us all grow our businesses, even just the mindset. I don't want to spend the whole podcast reciting history and boring you guys to death, but I have to tell everyone how we met. I'm 12 years old. My uncle approaches me at his wheelchair basketball practice says, Hey, there's a kid coming in here. Um, He tells me your story a little bit and that you'd be coming for your first wheelchair basketball practice. Now (laughs) I've been around guys my entire life with the team guys with disabilities, guys that couldn't walk. You know, I I was used to it. I never really saw the wheelchair, I only saw the people, because I grew up with my uncle since I was born. But this was different. Here was a kid, only a few years older than me, that loved playing ball, wanted to play in college and pro, and then his life was changed forever. Scott, please tell everyone what happened to you, along with your first reaction and your thoughts at the time.
1: Well for the first basketball practice no when, just, when you first
0: just, when when you first had that numbness and everything in
1: numbness um to be quite honest with you, I thought I was sick um I was playing basketball the night before for my uh high school team Verona high school and So when i woke up to that numb big toe i i didn't think anything one um a an indestructible teenager two is that i don't think anybody with just a numbness is going to think anything is severely wrong you're going to give your body time to heal so uh, i thought i was sick and just as quickly as this entered my body i thought it would exit my body but then within that first 24 hours of that numbness creeping up my leg and then after a school dance that i attended that night i remember going to bed and waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and i was half asleep and now what i remember more than anything is going to take a step so i'm half asleep and i go to take a step and the best way that i can compare it is almost like if you had a bicycle there with a kickstand and the kickstand was down and then you lifted the kickstand up and then you took your hand off the bike you would just watch that bike fall to the ground. And that was me, I was off balance. My whole left leg was paralyzed, right leg was fine, could still move it, could still feel it. But I was so off balance that, you know what, when I smacked my face on the ground it, and it was deafening, I, I thought that my mother, my father, someone heard this noise, but no one heard it. And at that moment, that's when I really started shaking. That's when I said, okay, something is seriously wrong here. And it was the following. I even went to bed thinking like, maybe if I sleep this off, but I woke up the following morning and I had a paper route. I had that big, thick star ledger here in New Jersey, and I was (laughs) going to do it. My brother was home, so he had to help me with that. But I'm hopping around on one leg. And um, it, it was really scary. In all fairness. I don't think paralysis hit me until about 12 years later mal and, and this is important uh, for everyone who's listening to here, is that when something traumatic happens when something some type of adversity is like right in front of you there's some people who it hits them right away and emotionally i meant it annihilates them and then there are other people who can kind of circumvent a little bit and then there's other people who kind of just go on with their lives and that was me in the beginning that i just went on with my life. And I want everyone to think who's listening out there because obviously we're, we're thinking, okay, how can this apply to my life in a professional manner? Whenever I talk, I always ask people, keep one ear open to yourself professionally, one ear open to yourself personally, because there needs to be a congruency. So if something's resonating personally with you. Don't avoid that. Just say, okay, I'm going to take this to another level while we're on this podcast tonight or something professionally coming up for me whatever it is that's coming up don't judge it just know that wow this is what needs to be coming up for me so um what's interesting is that it it wasn't until about 12 years later that i went into that backpack now i always come i always let people know that you know we have this imaginary backpack that we go around with in life and whatever experiences we have we put in that backpack and for the most part there it's it's a pretty light backpack but then we have those situations, we have those incidents, those events that occur in which we really don't deal with. It's almost maybe a speed bump in life. Maybe we have to be there to help other people, to protect other people. But what I've realized happens, Mal, is that you know we continually put things in that backpack and it starts to weight us down. And so that was one of a, a few things that was going on in my life at the time that I hadn't fully dealt with. I just moved on with my life that I put in that backpack and all of a about 12 years later, it was just like, no, I'm a, I, I need to go into this backpack. And I finally Finally gave that 15-year-old permission to feel everything he had every right to feel. Anger, to feel sadness, to feel depressed, to feel everything. I gave that 15-year-old kid, now a 27-year-old who's embarked upon a journey around the world, permission to grieve over what happened to him. So
0: 12 years?
1: 12 years, 12 years. That's my life path. Never to be duplicated, never to be replicated, (laughs) but it is mine and I own it and I would not trade a thing
0: about it okay i may have misread this a little bit then but you take it from my eyes because i can remember it like it was yesterday let's yep. go to that practice yep and i'm gonna i'm gonna tee it up for you and then i want All right. you to take over and let me know exactly what was on your mind because i need to know i'm sure you remember that first practice and i remember it vividly you well can i can face- i take
1: you back a little bit further than that yeah go ahead so I'm laying in a hospital bed at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. So you start off in the hospital. That's where I had my exploratory surgery, not to tra- change anything, but to kind of stabilize your condition. Then you get transferred to a rehabilitation center where you learn how to live from a wheelchair, to dress yourself, to be able to live life with paralysis or whatever other type of disability. Right. I'm there in my hospital bed and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And I'm like, hello, it's Mike Leone. All of a sudden I get a chest pass. With a basketball and i catch the ball right here as it's coming right from my face first thing he looked at me and he said you could still play this game wow and all of a sudden tears started coming down my eyes and everything because as much as i was moving on with my life that thought of maybe never being able to play the game that i love so much he never told me that that. was coming in Mike, there were a lot of things that mike probably didn't share with people because he's a change maker and oh, he's yeah. an influencer, and still in spirit, he's an influencer. So, right. tee it up for me at practice because I'll take you right through that practice. Oh, you exactly. were there. He you just gave it. me something
0: real good there. That was beautiful. <laughs> I had no idea he did that. Um, <laughs> you know, he told me probably as a way to motivate me and say, "Hey, this could have been you." So here's a kid your age, and then whatever. So let's okay. take you to that first practice. Um, you put on a good face, but I could see that look in your eyes, just looking a little uncomfortable. Maybe a little bit of anger mixed with a little bit of fear mixed with I don't know if I belong here. Look, but at some point in the practice and it didn't take long, like your competitive nature kicked in. You were annoyed that you had to play basketball in a wheelchair in my mind. Or maybe you were just annoyed that you couldn't no longer be the best player on the court. Um, You couldn't navigate the wheelchair as well as all the guys had been in there forever. And it frustrated you. Was I reading this right?
1: No, you're, you're reading it perfectly. And I'm going to say all of the above. Okay. See, here's, here's what happened. So I came into this practice having been shooting in my backyard. So my father would get rebounds. I still learned that it's like all technique while I could almost dunk a basketball on my feet yeah. is that I knew that, you know what? Okay. I could get the shot down from my, uh, it's going to require more arm strength, and so right. forth, but it's all technique. So I was draining threes. I was draining shots. I mean, I was like, I got this down. I came to that practice. Yeah, there was that kid who was scared, but I also came with a little chip on my shoulder. Like, oh, yeah. you know what? My stuff doesn't stink. And so I'm shooting around with the guys before. That's the only time I got a shot off for the first 15 minutes of practice. When we started scrimmaging, they did not let me get over half court. And Mike was one of two people, Jimmy Jeffries, the other guy who basically said to me, you need to learn how to push this wheelchair. They are, your wheelchair is your legs right now. If you don't know how to push this wheelchair, you're not going to be able to succeed in this sport. And so I was frustrated. I was frustrated sitting there. So when I finally did get up, Court and everything and under the basket well I, I would be the one like if shot went up I'd be up there kind of like taking that ball off the rim and grabbing a rebound now I had them looking up I'm waiting for the ball to come yeah. and drop at my lap so now it doesn't matter it positioning matters but it also matters how high you're sitting in a chair and I'm not sitting very high in a chair and I, I'm, I'm over six feet sitting in a chair right. I mean I'm sorry on my feet but I'm not grabbing rebounds so it was one of those things where, you know what, I look back on it and wow, did I so need to have that experience. And this is a great lesson for everyone out there. In the moment, whatever it is that you've experienced, whatever kind of challenge, whatever type of adversity you experience, in that moment feels like the end of the world. I'm not denying that. You don't well, you want to just crawl under a, a stone and just stay there. I get it. But if you look back on it now, you realize whether it was that job you lost, whether it was that client that didn't work out, whether it was money lost, a relationship that didn't work out, um, not doing something properly, whatever it was, is that you needed to have that experience and then think about how you took that. Now, what I've realized more than anything, and this is what I part of what I've done in my travels around the world, I wanted to find out what makes us tick as human beings why people make certain decisions certain choices why some succeed why fail but what i realized more than anything is that we have this unquenchable desire to succeed and we'll do anything in our power to make it happen
0: even the least competitive people do because that's the conditions of this world so uh, think about someone like scott who's ultra competitive division one aspirations Every young kid that plays a sport wants to be a pro. So what he went through and then immediately trying to overcome it just blows my mind. And I was raised with it. I was <laughs> raised with a quote-unquote second father who was in a wheelchair and saw what he had to go through. But, you know, your story is just captivating and the ability to overcome things is is amazing. Um,
1: amazing. We just we, we just have to just own it all. Just mm-hmm. own it all. Every single experience, every single choice, everything has led us up to this very moment, which we're doing this podcast that hopefully helps a lot of people. No? Gotcha. And, and for everyone out there, everything. There's one thing, I'm sorry, and I didn't get around to it. There's one thing that we can do with the past, and that's it, is learn from it. That's the only positive thing that we can do with the past. If you're spending any more time in the past dwelling, would have, should have, could have, I'm telling you right now, you're never going to get the answers that you want. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of your energy. So learn from it. What can every single thing that maybe didn't go your way, didn't work out, go back, rewind that tape of your life. Ask yourself, how can I grow
0: and learn from that experience yeah we screwed up already or we made a mistake already or uh in a result was is already been determined as a result of our actions or inaction figure out what that was is basically what you're saying learn from it and adapt and in the future change it so you can Well, well, here is how would we know success if we didn't know failure course
1: how would we know pleasure if we didn't know pain right but the thing is that we and i'm not saying okay go out there and fail (laughs) it's (laughs) just going to happen organically and naturally but when it happens feel those feelings feel lost get upset get irritated get angry whatever it takes because those are natural emotions but then right away say okay because there's an opportunity you can take yourself back to when you were a kid and you failed a test in school felt like the end of the world. I got to show my parents this test. You look back on it right away is that what can I learn from this? Whether it's different study habits, whether it's doing and anything moving forward in our lives is that you can do that with a failed relationship. I like to say to my wife who we just celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary, every single woman that I have met and then some has led me up to you. So there's a culmination of all of them
0: yeah. and then some. I guess while we're talking about while we're talking <laughs> about your exes, over the years, whenever I saw Scott, one girl was hotter than the next. Just saying. <laughs> even, in, even in the wheelchair, you were still you were still making some good pulls. So well, I, do, I, you, I do you know what, what my father cry.
1: said? Do you know what my father said, God rest his soul, he passed away in 94. That was one of the many things that I um oh. kind of put to the side and yeah. had to deal with. But I was 24 when he passed away. But my father had like a joke going saying Scott dated the United Nations. Like we never knew from what part of the world like he he was going to bring someone home from. And all I say and I look up and I smile or I look inside my heart and everything. I said, Dad, I ended up in India. So my wife was born in India, moved here when she was eight years old. So with all my travels, all my dates, all the people that I um, spent time with over the years, I settled Beautifully uh, yeah. in
0: India. <laughs> it's beautiful too. So you still did it, Your 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 last swing was a good one. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. Okay, um this one is hard for me to even say to you because it was it was hard for me to experience it. I don't know how to put it into words. I wrote it. And I'm just gonna read it. At one point during that practice, and I still remember it. I don't remember what I was doing, but I remember this happening. Mike asked me. To do something which required me getting out of the chair. Because I would practice in the chair with you guys. And when it was time to leave, I'd get up, I'd help Mike to the car and we'd go. But he asked me to get out of the wheelchair and go get something. Probably out of the car, knowing him, because he always forgot stuff. Um and when he asked me to get up, for the first time ever, around him or the guys, I felt this enormous rush of guilt of mm-hmm. being able to walk. I didn't wow. want to go. Wow, I did not want to get up not getting it emotional here, um, which I've done before. So I'm going to rein it in. In my head, I'm thinking, I hope Scott doesn't see me. I feel so terrible for him because it was so fresh for you. And you know, all the guys that, that couldn't get up and walk and reach something on a shelf, enter a building without being carried at times fit through a certain doorway without a struggle or just get up and walk to the bathroom. You know it all hit me like a hurricane, yeah. and I did not want to get up,
1: right, and that's interesting. So you were twelve years old,
0: yeah, I was twelve, 12
1: years old going through this experience, and yeah. it that experience, I'm talking so many years later, changed you yeah. and so if you think about this because in, in in my work now, when I do work with corporations and so forth, is that we have almost like spend a day in a wheelchair yeah. in which you know what we want you to have that experience of what it's like for you to navigate in a wheelchair so that you can connect and that's what it's all about now is that it's all about connection we've we're talking about connecting with ourselves it's got to begin with you you got to have a firm connection with yourself the more you understand yourself the more you can understand and connect with others
0: i used to get pissed even as a little kid when people would stare at my uncle and all you guys and like just stare and look and wonder and treat you different i used to get livid now moving into adulthood at this point, I was probably, it was probably about 24, 25. I was trying to ballpark. And I just couldn't remember. And I got so mad and lost my temper so mad, so much so that I probably would have lost my life that day or hurt real bad. So I'm at a church league slow-pitch softball game. Church league, guess but real competitive, you know, real good players. And we're playing the number one ranked team with a bunch of ringers, just great, great, great players. We're warming up. And, you know, I'm there with my best friend. We're hanging out, just talking before the game starts. And the parking lot in West Orange is right there on Route 10. And when he pulls into the lot, we hear this loud revving engine, just revving. And we turn around and look, beautiful Corvette. Of course, he's doing it to get attention, you know, and he got it, especially from two younger guys, 25 years old. And they're like, wow, look at that Corvette. He parks real close to the field and goes now we're the parking lot is right on the field. He parks right into a handicap spot. Mark clear as day. The the blue lines are fresh. You can see everything. The wheelchair's there. And now I start steaming. I go from excited about a Corvette to wanting to choke this guy to death. So he climbs out of his car and he's a monster. Scott, this guy's huge, (laughs) total, you know, juice head, obviously, he's got muscles on top of muscles, gets out of the car, goes to his trunk. man, maybe he'll pull out, no, goes to his trunk, closes it, gets his baseball bag, walks in with that, you know, I'm a tough guy strut, my friend Rick sees me, and he was a good fighter, I wasn't a fighter, you know, I had a big mouth and I'd stick up from friends, but I wasn't like a great fighter or anything, he sees me heading for the guy and he pulls me back, starts yelling at me settle down to church league we can't do this here calm down I know what you're thinking just stop because he knew my family my uncle everything um so for a second I guess you know part of it was chickening out and being like All right. you know he kind of got me off the hook here with this tough guy and then as he walks by I couldn't control myself and I literally say to him <laughs> I I go hey 20 something wrong with your legs He stops he looks and kind of figures i'm not talking to him and he sees me staring he says me and i said yeah you something wrong with your effing legs i'm not going to curse i don't want to get bleeped on my own show (laughs) now while the pastor on our team hears it he starts running in there yelling at me i don't hear a thing he's saying and i don't care so this guy starts coming at me Two or three other guys that were near me and Rick start coming towards me. The pastor's running at us, guys from his chair are running at us. And he says something, I don't remember what he said, and I start screaming. Verbatim, I don't remember. The first part was verbatim. This part more of like, you have the balls to park in a wheelchair spot. And I'm sure I cursed at him again. And I did say this. I said, I'll give you a real reason to park in the handicap. Scott. Let's go and he charges i'm charging there's you know probably 20 guys there at this point um and now that i've embarrassed him he obviously wants to fight me and i can see him like moving his way through people uh, at this point like i said multiple people are there unbeknownst to me my friend rick who's talking to me is behind me with a baseball bat and then our friend damon who happens to be on the other team comes over kind of gets the rundown of what's going on as we're scrumming and trying to get at each other. And uh, he was a well respected guy and a tough guy too. He somehow diffuses it. And God bless him and kudos to him to this day. I'll still never forget this. Somehow, some way, he gets the guy to move the car. I don't know if David said, give me the keys, I'll move it. David said, we ain't playing until you move the car. Right. So that's all I remember. The rest of it is like black, just out there somewhere, lost in space. Lost in space. He moved the car. We didn't fight. We lost. That's what I remember. (laughs) Thanks to Damon and Rick, I didn't die that day. Uh, But, like, you know, altercations like that, sticking up for you. And I guess in my mind, I was sticking up for like you, my Uncle Mike, Chuck Wyatt, Jimmy Jeffries, Freddie Jones, all my favorites. And you guys were all my favorites. I guess in a way, it was like sticking up for you. But anything like that happened to you where you lost it and kind of, or situation like that where, you just saw so much ignorance and you couldn't help yourself.
1: You know what I i realized? And yes, I meant in terms of what you're doing as you're sharing that story, I think. So while I speak to a lot of corporations and a lot of companies, um, do a lot of motivational speeches for them, I also do a lot of talks for like K through 12 schools and colleges and universities. So I, I just remember like last week speaking to a group of eighth graders and I remember just telling them. Uh, Like uh, almost in a way is that, you know, that person in a wheelchair. Do you know their story? I was like, it's okay. So when you see somebody, when I see someone staring at me, when I see someone like have a peculiar look, I'm fine with that because it's different. Especially if I'm the only one there in a wheelchair, and people of like close to my age will be like, oh, wait a minute, that could be me. So it makes them maybe even more scared. Other people, it's just change and it's confusion and everything. So. I don't get caught up in people's initial reactions. But what I do share with the eighth graders, with the younger kids and even adults, is that never allow what you see on the outside to dictate how you're going to treat someone on the inside. So get to know me. And what I love wherever I go now with schools is I say, hey, they learn a little bit about my story and everything. I was like, anybody out there willing to give me a chance to be your friend? And all the hands go up. All the hands immediately Uh go up. And I said, all I can say is thank you. And if you could give me a chance to be your friend with all my differences, with all my challenges, you can give anybody in this school, in this state, in this country, in this world, at least a chance to
0: be your friend. You know, Mike used to say, and his sister actually told me this, Mike used to say that he had a lifetime to get used to his disability. Whereas guys like Scott lost the use of their legs in the prime of their youth, already knowing what they had, because he didn't know what he had. Right. Um, So guys like you had it harder than Mike did. What Mm -hmm. message do you have? Forget about my audience. I don't want to forget about, you know, companies trying to grow and motivating them. What message do you have for kids and adults out there that are new to their disability or struggling with that? What's a quick bit of advice you can give them to get through it?
1: Well, I always say if anyone is experiencing a disability now in the year 2023, um, obviously, I wish I could go back and change it make like it never uh, became a part of your life. But knowing full well that I can't, I have to believe that you have the tools and the resources within you and also outside of you to not only survive what you're going through, but to thrive in the face of it um there is so much with regards to technological advances there's medical uh breakthroughs that are taking place every day to the point where you can live a pretty incredible rewarding life with your disability and i, I i've said it for a very long time now Mal, and i'm convinced of this it doesn't mean that we don't have challenges doesn't mean that we don't have moments of pain and sadness or would have should have cut have. but i absolutely believe that the only place a true disability can reside is in one's attitude. And that's a choice. So right here, right now, not to judge someone, there's a person like in somewhere in the world who's making millions of dollars and could have like the best relationship in the world with a significant other doing all this, but has chosen not to get out of bed today because they're looking at the glasses half empty rather than half full. And so it just reiterates what I and I absolutely want to make sure that I share this because I I think I was going in this direction at some point is that this is how I, I can't I keep coming back to this inward journey is that I want you to imagine right now we're going to have a party for you. We're going to have all your friends, all your family. It's going to be any place in the world. There's going to be a jet that's going to take everyone where you want all your favorite foods. Everyone's bringing whatever gift that you've asked for. Just think about it, no expenses, I mean, it, it just, boom, everything's gonna be there. Think about how freaking awesome that would be. And my question is, with all that in place, isn't there still possibly that part of you that doesn't appreciate it, doesn't feel worthy of it, doesn't feel deserving of it, doesn't feel? And so the answer is absolutely yes. To the point where you can have everything around you, the perfect support system, the perfect boss, the perfect colleagues, the perfect family. But unless you are connected to yourself and treating that mirror reflection, those thoughts that you have about yourself, treating yourself with respect and reconnecting with yourself as frequently as possible, all of that will never be fully appreciated. When you have this connection here, then all of a sudden, wow, this beautiful world, comes into real focus and then you can elevate and advance your life in many ways but wow being a good place with yourself and we're constantly works and prog works in progress so being a good place with yourself but always know that there's another level when i have this thing called life figured out you dig a hole in the ground and you cover me with dirt there's no reason to be alive for me it's appreciating where i am right here right now mal yeah but also realizing that it's about constant and never-ending improvement. How can I be better? How can I do better?
0: Yeah. All right, let's change it up a little bit. Let's get light here. Just have some, some, (laughs) do something geared towards fun with a few layups. I'm going to put you on the NC Shop Talk rapid fire hot seat. I'm going to fire off some questions and just answer as quick as you can, real quick answers, just to help the audience get to know you a little better. Yep. Maybe some things for you and I to argue about. Ready? All right. Magic or (laughs) bird? magic all right favorite vacation spot
1: haven't been there yet but i'm gonna say fiji okay
0: favorite food
1: buffalo wings
0: okay michael or lebron
1: lebron oh no come on stop please (laughs) biggest biggest lebron fan here wait a minute
0: i'm a a lebron fan as well i can appreciate him
1: but let, let me just go here because i've had people like very close to certain people who've tried to convert me first of all, I will never be converted. Here's the thing with me. And it's, it's very, very close. So I, it's almost like a one a and one B for me, the best player in the world, that if you went down every aspect of the game, and I don't mean like championships and all that, because you know, then Bill Russell is going to be the best and everything. I can't get into all that. But if you went into every aspect of the game, I believe that LeBron James, both sides of the ball, is the best player. And this is a guy I grew up with, Michael. I grew up with Michael. I wanted to be like Mike. I was one of those people. I just feel that LeBron is just, again, 1A, and Jordan is a close 1B.
0: Well, arguing for LeBron's side, <laughs> which I don't you know, want to do after hearing this, but he has been the best player in the league essentially for 20 years, which is insane. From the minute he came in, till the minute he came out. But anyway, we're going to leave that alone. I, there's no, con- obviously, uh, you know, you're pretty strong. No, load. there's I'm no convert me. There's no convert me. There's no point. Um, who's your Mount Rushmore of NBA players? Give me your four.
1: Ooh, my four. Okay. I have uh, LeBron, Michael. Uh, yep. Ooh. Agreed, agreed. Go ahead. I'm just because he was so dominant on there. I got to have, I, I
0: love Wilt. Um, I got Wilt on mine. I got Wilt and then uh, and I don't think Wilt's one of the four best players but he's the most dominant player oh, so to me he's got to be on there
1: absolutely absolutely and, and, and this,
0: then the most is, deadly out of any of them was Kareem he's my fourth
1: yeah I I, I see I put Wilt above Kareem only because I just and again, I know he wasn't around as much. In a, I, I'm going to put Kobe in that last one. I'm going to put Kobe in that last one. Not a spot. bad idea.
0: I got Kobe ahead of Wilt as far okay. as if I made an all-time list. But, you know, my one and my two was Michael and Kareem. After that, I got LeBron. But, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, Kareem was unstoppable. And he also brought the defense with him. He did it all. Um, right. Anyway, do you still play? Do you get to shoot shoot around a little bit?
1: I, I really don't. No. I'm, I'm still I, – I watch all the time. You um, miss playing? Do I miss playing? Um, a little bit. And and the reason, my main reason for not playing is that um, the wear and tear on the shoulders. I know. So I have not I've had heard. to have any surgeries. I did get into uh, adaptive surfing for a while, which I love, which requires paddling, which is a similar motion to pulling and everything, yeah. um, uh, to pushing a wheelchair, I should say. But so, I love my life so much professionally and personally that I have talked to so many people who just, and again, they enjoyed their time playing basketball and doing all this, who have had multiple surgeries on their shoulders. And it's very difficult to even like move around now. Um, I, I take so much pride in my shoulders. I take so much pride in my, my physical health that, you know what, whether it be the surfing, which I ended up, breaking my femur and my leg. So that kind of, so I still love getting in the ocean. I still love swimming. I still love watching basketball and going to games and doing all that. It's just now is that I I, I can't tell you the last time I I shot a basketball and if it was something, and again, it doesn't mean that I can't return to it. And I actually, this coming fall, I might actually throw my hat into the ring because we're going to have both of our kids now going to be in college is that I, I don't know if it's going to be basketball because I did coach my kids in basketball, but I might return to coaching in football. Okay. So I was quarterback for the football team, and that's something that uh, I haven't coached before. It's something my dad coached, and so um I might explore that. I haven't made
0: a final decision. All right. Well, that's not a bad it. idea. <laughs> Just go out one day and shoot a three for me. That's all I want. You to got
1: to. it. No, I I know that. Remember, that's you exactly. were You were
0: like the freaking you know Steph Curry before Steph Curry. All you want to do was shoot threes. <laughs> I'll never forget that it's like why
1: the hell is he shooting I love like that? shooting at I, I loved it I loved yeah, it I know you did I never became that speed demon and never and, and that, so that's that's an interesting thing about wheelchair basketball that I, I realized too so you, you mentioned it before it's actually a few inches above my belly button where I'm paralyzed so if someone can think they're the upper abs so when I'm laying flat on my back I can't do a sit up I can tighten my abs a little bit to tight so you might say well what does that do that doesn't give me a lot of balance sitting in this wheelchair so, you know, as well as I do with wheelchair basketball, you could have something going on with your toe. You could have a toe missing. You could have some like a, a part of your leg missing, but you have all that trunk control and yeah. whether it's being able to lean forward and push and go side to side and not have to worry about your balance. I mean, that really made a difference for a lot of players. So, um, that's, uh, but I, I, I would never trade, uh, those years that I play with the New Jersey Blue Devils playing at halftime of the Nets game, Mike yeah. would line up us and, and talk about awareness. How beautiful was that during professional basketball games mm-hmm. to sit there and see like a bunch of guys in wheelchairs come out and they're actually going to do it um, during the final four in Houston okay um, they're actually going to have wheelchair basketball i don't know if it's the championship game or during the final four but you're going to see wheelchair basketball which i love we, we do all to time, I I the time i used to do it all the time
0: mike mike's <laughs> like whatever you do just don't get out of the chair um <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's a miracle a, it's Whenever you guys were short a guy i would get the play mike's like we're not <laughs> flushing on the drain so he'd get me he's like you're on and like, okay. So I would go. And I think you know, I always used to ask to guard him. you. <laughs> yeah. Say it again. I think I always used to ask to guard you. <laughs> let, nah, me, nah. let me
1: take that guy. I got him. I got him.
0: Another boy, Scott. Well, if you were on my my uncle's team, the last game I played, I was in high school at some point. The last game I played, I hit the winning shot at the buzzer to beat him. Nice. Never let him live it down. Never got to play again. So I went off a winner. And I I hopefully you were on the other team, so I got to beat you too. I love it. Speaking <laughs> of last shot, are you ready
1: for this? Yeah the last play that I was involved with when I was still on my feet at age 15, the night before this began, is that the last play I was involved with, you ready for this? Yeah. I was called. I was called for walking. Like I (laughs) try. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I was called for walking. I was like,
0: wow. Okay. (laughs) This is great. I know. I can't make make this up. You're not make that up. That's for sure. (laughs) Um, Changing gears again. I know you're married and have kids. Tell us about your kids. You know, and your wife, your parenting style, just give, a little, give us a little insight into, uh, you know, what makes you tick as a parent.
1: Well, first of all, when I originally became paralyzed, I was basically told I would never be able to walk again. And I was also told that I'd never be able to father my own children fathering being able to father my own children is more important to me than walking in and again i know there might be a lot of people out there who are actually paralyzed who like can't conceptually put their arms that's that's just me yeah. so i'd be blessed to adopt a child it's still something my wife and i talk about doing someday but i wanted to do whatever it took and what's interesting is that i went from a two percent chance to fathering my own child to a 55 percent chance Oh, wow. No, I'm one of those people now just keep telling me I can't do something. You tell me I can't do something. I don't say, hmm, you know what? That stinks. All you're doing is energizing me to the point where (laughs) I want to go around you. I'm going to go under you. So what was interesting is that right after I was given a 2% chance, I did some more traveling and I went to a Tony Robbins seminar in uh, Kona, Hawaii. And one night it was announced that we were going to do a firewalk, a firewalk. And all of a sudden, there's 2,500 people at this seminar. I was like, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, can't do a firewalk. I was like, this stinks. I'm the only one at this seminar in a wheelchair. I can't do it. So my mind had taught me, but I had trained myself to do a head-heart shift. I always say the mind thinks, the heart knows. So I always want to be here. Then I get my mind involved, but I I live from here now. So my heart just said, find a way. It's going to give you simple, precise answers. It's a faint voice now, but the more you trust it, the louder it gets. And so all of a sudden I said, find a way. Moments later, I'm in front of Tony. And I said, Tony, listen, I know that I can't do this firewalk on my, on my feet, on my legs, but I'm going to do it on my hands. Holy you see, goodness. with my hands my, my and my arms, I'm going to transfer out of my wheelchair. I'm going to get down onto the ground. I'm going to flip over onto my stomach. I want you to grab my legs like a wheelbarrow race. Oh, and we're going to go along these burning hot coals. He looked at me like I was crazy. I said, you're telling me this is mind over matter. I like to say heart over mind over matter. It doesn't matter how we get across these coals. He's like, you're right. He said, but you need to be prepared, Scott. So there's a little patch of burning hot coals there. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, "Oh!" there's like a little patch. He goes, no, Scott, there's a path that's going to be like 20 feet long. And he said, whatever you want in life is waiting for you on the other end. So right away, we were talking, we were doing visualizations, imagery, and still to this day, it's one of my most powerful visuals. I saw myself walking along the beach, holding my wife's hand with one hand and holding a child's with the other hand. Now, you could put broken glass down in front of me. I got down onto the ground grabbed my legs and i said let's go and i felt some heat on my hands and there were about 14 people that night who like burned their feet because you were told not to look down because your mind's gonna tell you i'm burning hot coals my face is in the burning hot coals like i didn't know i'm just like so focused on what's on the other side so i get done with this and it's one of those experiences which everyone who's listening to this now can identify is that when you said i can't do this in which you said, "Yes, I can." You did it anyway, and you said to yourself, "If this is possible, anything is possible." Right. And that's where I went with that. So fast forward uh, about two, three weeks after that, I'm back at home. I had just been retested about the chances of fathering my own child, yeah. and all of a sudden, a doctor goes, "Scott, what have you been doing?" I said, like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "You've just defied logic." I, I was like, "What?" He goes, "You've just defied years and years You're of research. super semen." I was like, what, what are you talking? He goes, you have a 55% chance of fathering your own children. Oh my God. What in the world have you been doing? So with a great big smile on my face, I tapped the center of my chest. I said, doc, there's something that's unquantifiable. It doesn't exist within some of us. It exists within all of us. And that's the power of belief. Make a long story just a little bit longer is that I have um, almost a 21 year old daughter who's a a sophomore at Fordham University, NIA. And I have an almost 18-year-old son, Ray, who is a senior at Verona High School and will be determining in the coming weeks where he's going to be going to college. But they're my M impossible. Um, I I always tell people, if you ever find yourself saying that this is impossible, I can't get this done professionally or personally, just take a little apostrophe, but put it between the I and the M, and it says I'm possible. And it makes it so much more... um, uh, so much more, like I guess you could say, easier yeah. to pursue. walk like, across
0: some hot calls and you're
1: good. you Put some hot calls and good. So, but I, <laughs> you know, it, it all began. um I, I told you a little bit before about my wife. Her uh, her name is Pratiksha, and we met. She was actually in my audience. She was a physical therapy student, and like I just lost total train of thought. What I was going to be saying when I came out on stage, I saw her. I was traveling around the world. Ten days later, so I wasn't focusing on like really anyone. Just fulfilling a speaking engagement. And um yeah, she ended up tapping her friend on the shoulder five minutes into my talk and saying, I don't know who that man is, but that's the man I'm gonna marry and spend the rest of my life. Exactly two years from the day that we met, we were married. And uh She's a physical therapist, so I, I can't afford her, so she doesn't help me in that capacity too much. And she loves my parking spaces and all that good stuff. But um, no, we we have an amazing family, and uh, yeah, we we make it work. And it's nice. it's not always easy, but um, again, we we learn, we learn.
0: Well, you know, I want to thank you, and thank you for my audience, and I'm sure a lot of guys are thanking you right now for sharing your story, going into everything, and being so open. And I know I pressed you on a lot. So for that, I really appreciate it. Let's close with this. Um, What's most important to you about what you do with the motivational speaking? What's the most important part of it for you?
1: It's the connection. I, I realize now is that when we can connect with another human being, and we have the opportunity to inspire them. We have the opportunity to motivate them. We have the opportunity to give them hope. And I, I don't want anyone in this world to ever feel that they're they're totally alone, that no one understands, that no one um, cares. Is that I absolutely um, one of them who does? And I, I think we all do on some level. So it, it, it's about connection. And as I said before, and I can't say this enough, it, it's connecting with ourselves. And then through that, is connecting with others and, and finding our purpose in life if I a a long time ago I, i'll leave you with this quick story i had a chance this is a good name to drop by the way i had a chance to sit next to the champ muhammad ali at a dinner at a charity dinner okay. and this was in the beginning stages a little bit maybe a year into his parkinson's disease He's having a difficult time walking a little bit a little bit of a difficult time talking so sat next to him for dinner before dinner started all these people came up to him and were asking him for his autograph champ can I have your autograph and he like with his hands shaking he wrote his name on i don't know maybe over a hundred um, pieces of paper for people and all of a sudden bell rings getting ready to eat dinner and i'm there and all of a sudden he puts his shaking hand on top of mine he said in a non-conceited way he goes scott don't you want my autograph? <laughs> and I said, champ, I, I, I would love one, but I, I've seen how many you've written and everything. It's it's okay. And he goes, do you have a pen? I go, right here.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: I, I, I give him my pen. I give him a piece of paper. For everyone else, he just wrote his name that night. But for me, he wrote a sentence after that. I kept looking over at my watch. It must've taken him about five minutes. Wow. His dinner off. And I will never forget what he wrote because I'm reminded of it every day. It said service to others is the rent we pay for our space here on earth. Wow. Service to others. No, so what too. can I do? What can I do for my family? What can I do for my friends? What can I do for my colleagues? What can I do for my clients? All those people that are in your life. How can I provide a service service, but also how can I allow them to service me as well? Yeah. That's important.
0: That's, that's incredible. Important. That's a great story, Scott. Thanks for coming on, buddy. And uh, we got to do a better job of keeping in touch. I really appreciate you.
1: You got it, Mel. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it.
0: All right, man. So what do you think?
1: It's awesome. What You're do you think? i'm happy with it? I'm totally happy with it. All right. Are good. you? Were, were you?
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening in today, everybody. If you learned something new and liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe for more NC Shop Talk. Do me a favor and help us grow this sucker. Share this show on your social media feeds, and with anyone else who'd love to hear it. Thanks for giving us a listen. And until next time, remember to get out there and make it happen.